0: Hello friends and welcome to a golf podcast Unlike any other, we're pleased to have you with us Oh yeah, my birdie buddies, my par-saving pals My bogey buddies as well, welcome You've made it, we're all here together It is time for some fairway rolling Oh my god, we're driving up to the first tee this is the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by the great people at Callaway Golf on callawaygolf.com right this second. In time for St. Patrick's Day, get yourself some Callaway Chrome Soft Golf Balls with the Shamrock. This is the, the True Viz style ball, True Vision. You can get a shamrock on there. Give them out to all your pals as St. Patrick's Day rolls around. Celebrate the onset of golf season with some lucky balls. What about that idea? Speaking of lucky balls, we are talking about, of course, the Arnold Palmer Invitational this coming week. Rory McElroy, speaking of shamrocks, uh, the lead contender. That's not who Chris Vernon and I give out as our selection for this week. We're very pleased to have as a guest. On today's show, Mark Loomis, he is the executive producer on Fox Sports, of all things golf, including most prominently the United States Open, which is being competed at Pebble Beach this year. Of course, Megan Schuster and I are going to chop it up a little bit on Golf Social. There was a nice back and forth between Justin Thomas and the USGA about some rules interpretation application. I think they're going out for for coffee or maybe maybe they're going out for beers. They really figured out a nice place to uh, think about the world together in the same way. That did not happen in any way, shape, or form. But let's go ahead. The first tee is open. Let's let out a little shaft and we're going to go see our good pal, Mark Loomis, who's going to tell us a little bit about his experience at the pro member at Seminole. And now on the tee, Mark Miss. All, all right, my par-saving pals. Today's guest on Fairway Rolling. The, the, we, we are honored, honestly. He's the executive producer of the United States Open for Fox Sports, which this year will be competed at Pebble Beach. Oh, God, I can't wait. Uh, he covers all of the USGA content, eight championships, across the USGA platform for Fox Sports. But for our purposes, he played yesterday in the coolest golf tournament on the planet. Yo, Mark Loomis, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are
0: you? I'm, I'm outstanding. Now, look, uh, none other than, than the estimable DL3 calls this tournament the first major of the year And for all of our our bogey buddies out there, we're talking about the pro member at Seminole, uh, at Seminole Club down in in, uh, Juneau, Florida. This is a time tested, time tested, time tested, incredible Donald Ross design, uh, very special place. And this tournament has been going on since 1937. I'm interested in hearing how you got yourself into this thing.
1: Well, you know, I got into Seminole probably 15 years ago, and I was—I actually had an interesting story. I, I played with, uh, I think the first year I played with a buddy I grew up with, a, kid named, uh, a guy named Frank, i call him a kid, we're all over 50 years old now, uh, uh, a guy named Frank Bensel, who was a pro up in the metropolitan area, and I played with him, and then I played uh, with, but then it started to be kind of, you know, you had to kind of get a tour pro, and I was supposed to play, I was working at ABC, uh, I just left ABC. I was working on NFL Network, and I was going to play with Billy Ray Brown, and he and I were going to play. And Billy Ray, I, I, something happened. He had to get. Uh, he, I think his one of his daughters had to get wisdom tooth out or something like that. It turns out he couldn't come. I got. A, he called me about a week before and he said, I'm so sorry, I can't come." So I called Ian Baker Finch, who was I worked with, and said, "Hey, Ian, um, Billy Ray and I can't play. He can't come." And he said, "Well, you know, Mark, I'm actually standing on the practice tee." Uh, at uh, I think it was at the Honda uh back then, and he said, uh, I uh, I'm standing next to Corey Pavin. You want me to ask him if he wants to play because we were just talking <laughs> about it? And I said, Yeah, sure, I'd love yeah. to play with Corey Pavin. So, right. uh, sure enough, Corey said, Yeah, I'd love to play. So, we we're, were uh, we played. So, I showed up on Sunday, uh, and we played a practice round, and Corey and I played. It was one of the greatest rounds of golf uh, I've, I've ever been involved with. I Corey and I played. Uh, a round against Ian and Nathan Green from uh, from Australia oh, and wow. we were both teams were eight under on the 15th hole, and Ian had to go uh and so I was like so we finished we were done after 15 holes and that we never got to finish the match and then the next day Corey and I ended up shooting 64 and we won uh, oh so it was the most amazing yeah it was the most amazing kind of stuff. then I was hooked so now I've been playing every year and uh, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to kind of, you know, with Steve Flesch who worked with us. And, and now uh, Azinger is my, uh, my go-to now. And he was down here doing the Honda for NBC. So, uh, he just, we, I picked him up yesterday morning. We went and had some breakfast and we had a awesome round of golf. We played terribly. Uh, we both decided <laughs> that we weren't, uh, we, we, we were going to we regroup for next year, but, uh, but we, we had a great day. We played with, um, Bryson DeChambeau and Tom Nelson, and uh, it was really interesting to kind of pick uh, Bryson's brain along the way because uh, half of which I understood and half of which I didn't.
0: Now, did you leave the uh, pin in when you putted, to, out of respect for Bryson?
1: You know, I on the very so we started on the tenth hole and we got to the tenth green, and I said to – I was looking at Paul and and I I was away and I said you know what. Let's just leave the. We're going to leave it in the whole day because we know he wants to. Right. And uh, we never took it out. We didn't take it out one time. Uh, and actually, that was funny. The first hole, I made a, a long putt, and uh, I hit it right in. And I, I was like, I think I'm hooked on this uh, on this putting with the pike picket. But sadly, um, it didn't last. Uh, I did not make all my putts after that. This, this, yeah, yeah.
0: You couldn't keep actually.
1: it up. <laughs> you still have to get it in the hole.
0: I want to set the stage and let uh, you know, do a little background as to why I'm calling this the, the coolest uh, golf tournament on, on the planet. Seven of the world's top 10 were, were at the golf course yesterday Justin Rose, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, your playing partner, Bryson DeChambeau, John Rahm, Ricky Fowler, Roy McElroy, and then the list of former major winners. These are professional golfers. Who have won major events on tour? Phil Mickelson, Greg Norman, Nick Price, Ian Baker Finch, you're, you're, you're uh, the guy who yep. hooked you up with Corey. Jim Furick. Yep. Paul Azinger, your playing partner. Martin Keimer, Stuart yep. Sick. I mean, it, the list is it's just an incredible convening of of golf talent. I mean, it's it's uh you know, probably. 25 to 30 current or future hall of famers, golf hall of famers. Wh- where did the idea for this thing come from? Where did the allure um, of, of the tournament come from in your experience?
1: You know, it's a good question. I was actually, I was, I was thinking about that today. You know, it was, it was certainly a big, it was a big event back, uh, as you said, it started way back in the thirties and forties and it actually went away for a long time. But there, if you look on the board, um, up on the, it's it's in the kind of the corner of the locker room. I mean, there's just incredible names after you know one after the other of all the best players that you know you, you've read about over the years. You know, I, you know, I didn't watch him play, but and then it, I I I don't know exactly how long it went away for, but then I think as players started to move down here, mm. um, and there were just so many players that live in this area, and it was just so convenient for them, and you know, and there and there were. You know, there's we we have kind of Walker Cup captains like Buddy Marucci and Spider Miller, and you know guys right. who know tour players because they knew them when they were you know when they were 20 years old. Um, it just got to be a, a, a thing of hey, you know, wouldn't it be neat to start this event again? And like I said, it, when it originally started, it was probably half and half tour pros and and uh, club pros uh, from from kind of clubs all over the country that were down here for. The winter, but it, over the last couple years, I mean, if you don't have a tour pro, uh, you, 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 don't get in. Um, I mean, and it's, it's web.com. It's, it's, uh, it's PGA tour, it's LPGA tour. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's really a great, and, you know, it's really fun to see, you know, you walk in the locker room, there's Rory and he's in shorts and, you know, he's just talking and they're, you know, they're talking to each other and it's just a really relaxed day. I think everybody's really trying uh, when you get out there, because just out of pride, but you don't really care. I mean, we I, you know we were terrible, and we had a we had a blast. I, you know, I, I, I that's the most fun I've had playing bad golf in a long time.
0: So that I'm I'm happy you beat me to the punch. I wanted to ask you like what the atmosphere was like and how competitive it is, and and you just a- a- answered that. And you know it it is it's a shame that there isn't some way to um share that perspective of those those guys that we see all dressed up on tour uh every week in their full duds and the their, their pants and their all their sponsorships and stuff and seeing those guys in a slightly different kind of light um, and i understand why for them part of the allure of the event um is not having cameras around and and you know being interviewed and all the rest of it that allows them to be relaxed, but it would be cool, uh, to, to go ahead and just sort of see, see some of those guys let their hair down a little bit, um, and enjoy themselves and share that sort of side of, of competitive golf with the rest of us. I mean, the, uh, uh, in addition to all of the, the tour players, there's also Titans of industry, you know, the commissioner of major league baseball, Rob Manfred was there yesterday, the current head of the PGA Seth wall, and then, uh, his predecessor, Pete Bavacqua who's now heading up NBC Sports, right?
1: Absolutely. He was actually playing right in front of us. Yeah, Pete's a, Pete's a great guy. He uh, He's up. He's heading up uh, the MB, NBC Sports, and uh, he was in front of us with... Uh, was he playing with Ian Poulter, maybe? I think he might have been.
0: I think he might oh, have that's been. Oh, that's a pretty... pretty That's a, that's a power couple right there.
1: Um, so that was a power so, couple. So we touched on real briefly
0: um, you playing with the flag stick in. I do want to take a minute um, to just... Uh, get your observation. And we're going to do it, you know, at kind of the 30,000 foot level because your partnership, the Fox Sports partnership is with the USGA. But there has been some some ongoing, I'll I'll just say sort of dialogue between the tour players and the USGA around the application of the new rules that went into effect at the beginning of 2019. And from your position and perspective, as you think about how you're going to present the U.S. Open at, at Pebble Beach. What's your take as you sort of watch some of this dialogue occur between the players? And, you know, there's kind of three parties, really. It's, it's the USGA who, who delivered the rules with a lot of input from a lot of folks. It's the players trying to play under the rules. And then you have the officials that I think are PGA Tour officials out sort of um, uh, executing the rules based on what they're observing and the, between right. those three parties, you're seeing some sort of like uh, occasional disagreement around, you know, the the proper a- application. As you plan for your event in in June, how are you thinking about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first, my first thought about it is, boy, I'm glad we're not till June because maybe this will have all sorted itself out by the time we get there, and and, and I maybe love it. it will be a little bit, you know. So I like the fact that we're June uh, initially, but. You know, I think I think it's one of those things where you just it's, where you event to event, you just have to keep an eye on it. You have to see uh, if you know. I I got to say, by the time we get to June, are we really going to want to hear? Oh, he's decided to plug with the flagstick again. I mean, I've already heard it oh, three hundred times at this point. So I, I wonder by then if people are just going to be tired of hearing it. Um, so I, what I would say is, is I I think we're just going to have to let it play out. If somebody takes a a drop and they don't do it right, and there's a penalty, then you got to get into it. If everyone's by then has kind of got the rules down, uh, and 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 uh, and everything goes smoothly, eh, you probably don't have to get it. You will at some point, something will come up, and somebody will drop, or somebody will take a penny you know. And the you know, the announcers have to remember to say penalty area instead of hazard, and then, you know, there are, there are things that you have to do, and we have a call. With the USDA kind of early May up so that uh, we can go over the the rules, kind of you know, right before we start our season, uh, just kind of get a catch up on them all from from how it's gone so far. But from from right now where we sit, I'm just kind of an interested bystander to see how it all plays out. And I get it, you know. I think I think what I what I've most noticed is if I, if I were playing on the tour. The last thing I want to be thinking about is, am I following the rules, right? I want to be thinking about, well, you know, my golf shot. I want to be thinking about, yeah, you know, I want to be thinking about how I'm playing, not about following the rules. And these guys are used to the rules a certain way. Um, and so I get their frustration, but I also feel like the USGA and the, uh, and the RNA, they, they really did try to simplify the rules. But when you change uh, even if you're trying to make it simple, there's a, there's a learning curve and, and I get the frustration on the player's part. Um, and I also get the frustration maybe on the RNA and the that said, you know, it wasn't like we sprung this on you. We try to include as many people as we can, but there, there's things that you just, you, you know, you have to get used to and, and hopefully it'll become, uh, you know, it'll be an easy transition here eventually.
0: Yeah, I, as a guy, you you have golf running through your brain, your your blood, your brains and your veins. It's running through all parts of your body. Your DNA has some dimples in it. Um, you you were raised uh, yeah, on a golf course. You've been playing your entire life. You've you've been fortunate enough to to uh, bestow the game to your to your kids. Um, as a just a, as a consumer of the game and a, and a fan of the game, um, the the question I have for you, and the question I have just in general is why couldn't the the um, usga and the pga tour have come up with a way to to accomplish kind of a trial run with these new rules because the the thing part of the beauty of golf is is the chaos of it like you can sit down and write rules and try and give examples but you can you can't possibly uh, account for every permutation of what's going to happen because when you step onto a golf course, there are 5,000 variables at play, the, the weather, the conditions, the other people on the golf course, the equipment. you just can't account for every permutation. And so I wonder just I'm wondering aloud, is there couldn't there have been some way where like you take the events that were being played in October and November, and say we're going to tell everybody look we're going to start implementing the new rules but we're not there won't be any penalties this is a penalty free zone but what we want is like the data of of how guys are playing and as you sort of apply the rules so like you don't have a, a, an instance where Adam Shank is standing in a bunker and it seems like the only place he can have a conversation with his caddy this is me watching on television but it seemed like the caddy the only way for them to have a conversation about what shank's game plan is for getting his ball out of the bunker was for the the caddy to be behind him talking to him and then after the round uh you know way after the round shank gets a penalty for for alignment for caddy alignment wouldn't it have been preferable to like have that kind of situation play out in a no cost no harm no foul way in a soft rollout of the rules before the year started. I understand I had the benefit of hind- hindsight, but part of the frustration here feels like, um, that, you know, there's an element of gotcha to, to this, like there, there are, and you know, it, it happens, uh, uh, I'm not remembering the guy's name who was penalized three weeks ago. And then the, the tour rescinded the penalty, um, again, for an alignment thing. Cause we're all lo- learning on the fly. Um, I just wish that there had been an opportunity to kind of soft roll this uh, before guys started getting charged with penalties and losing money and, and FedEx cup points. What do you think?
1: Yeah. You know, I, th- I think that you know, as you're asking that question, I'm thinking a little bit too about you know, I'm, the NFL—they put new rules in, and it's in the preseason. Uh, the, uh, Major League Baseball—they put new rules in, for like the the pitch clock that everyone was uh, was was really having a hard time with a couple weeks ago. The conversation—it's in spring training. There, there isn't, there really isn't that in in in, uh, uh, in golf. But here's what I will say: I, you know, w- one of the things, one of the things that um, some of it uh, as soon as with those. New rules were proposed last year. um, We started playing them immediately, so we we had kind of a soft rollout at 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 Seminole, and I'm I'm sure other clubs did too. Ah. And we tried we started incorporating the rules ourselves in tournaments. It was actually kind of confusing because they weren't printed yet, and you were trying to like, now what am I supposed to be doing here? Um, So, (laughs) uh, so like, but one of the initial rules was we're going to drop the ball. You can drop the ball from as, far, uh, as close to the ground as 10. So it was like you literally would get an inch away from the ground, and you drop the ball. And the ball, it was almost like placing the ball, but, you know, you would drop it from an inch away. And then people realized, you know, the USDA and the RNA saw people doing that, and they realized, well, that is quite right. So they went to the knee. But, you know, when I was thinking about that, too, when, when I was a kid, we used to drop the ball over our shoulder. I mean, right, it was the over-the-shoulder uh, the drop. a little bit, yeah, right, yeah. No, I remember. But, but I'm so old we enough. We are all, so <laughs> all so happy to not have to drop it over our shoulder anymore, uh, and it was just easier to drop it from shoulder height. Um, and so you were happy and never forgot, right? So you never broke that rule because it was easier, so you were dying to do it. Well, now, in some ways, the dropping it from the knee, and I, there's a million reasons. I, I, you know, the reasons why they did it, I know because they didn't want the ball rolling. as much. But in some ways, it's actually harder than dropping it from your shoulder. So the guys they haven't adjusted to it yet because it's not. It, it's a. It's a big difference from dropping behind your shoulder to the side as to just getting a little lower. So the interesting thing was we we rolled out these rules and we did them, and there were some minor adjustments. Um, and they try, you know, the USGA tried to, uh, tell people, please call in if you have any issues and, and they, and there's the R&A and they tried everything they could to include people. But one, yeah, once you, you, you don't really know until you put them under the gun. And since the, the tour doesn't have, uh, doesn't have a preseason. Now, what could you argue? Hey. Well, then, why didn't you do it on the Latin American tour, the Web. dot com tour, and and see how it goes before you 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 put it on the TGA tour? I don't know. Maybe you could argue that, but I I really do think they had everyone's best interest in mind by trying to go through the process of people trying it out and and listening to people. But there were a couple things that that just haven't worked out as smoothly as they want off the start here. My you know my only hope is. Six months from now, it's uh, it's kind of gone. It's come and gone. People remember to drop from the knee, uh, and people you know the the caddy moves out of the way. And like the caddy rule, is as much as we you know, it, everyone got tired of watching the caddies line up players right from behind, and so they're trying to get rid of that. Now, what did they, did they walk into something here? Because all of a sudden, every once in a while, um, that people are that you know, just like Shank, uh, you know. It's an awkward situation, and you get stuck. Yeah. So maybe they're going to have to figure out a way to legislate around that. But, but, uh, yeah, it, I, I, you know, I know what you're saying, but I don't know where that would have been. Yeah. Except, I know. Except that we did do it at the club level to some regard. And there were some minor adjustments, but you don't know until you put it under the gun. And, uh, people have, you know, obviously some people have, have, haven't liked it
0: yeah I don't want to bore the hell out of our uh listeners i I still can't get my head around why Ricky got penalized for dropping uh shoulder height as opposed to knee height uh, in Mexico because i i uh, you know the the there was no way that dropping from shoulder height to me as a golfer compromises integrity compromises the field has any kind of undue effect uh so i i'll I just have to hold my nose on that one and I won't ask you to try and explain it um
1: well, the only thing I'll explain about that was they were trying to get the ball to roll less when it hit the ground, so that so the actual drops would happen instead of placing it. Is it did it did it work out perfectly? Uh, you know, you know, so far no, so far no. But I I know why they did it.
0: Yeah, and it's very reasonable. And I think at whatever point, you know, I I'm able to figure out how to uh, bend down and not hurt myself, you know, dropping from the knee because I'm <laughs> I'm getting up there in years too, Lumi. Um, but like if I drop from my shoulder and the ball rolls slightly further away, it tends to be to my disadvantage and to the rest of the field's advantage. So I don't see why, you know, it, it should be, I like the idea of an accommodation of dropping from the knee, but how can it be a penalty to drop from the shoulder? I mean, it, it, that, that, there's a incongruity there, but again, I don't want to bore the good listeners <laughs> of this with this silly rules talk. You have a, a production coming up at Pebble Beach, America's golf icon, and you, you know, are steering the ship up there on the Monterey Peninsula, what is in store for us, the 2019, now I have to tell you, I can't, uh, um, the, the level of excitement that I have, it's, I can't contain myself, because what it means for people like me on the East Coast is over Father's Day weekend, prime time, Professional yeah. golf at the highest level. It's That's just the, the very best thing in the world. It's the best. Yeah. Love it. So, w- yeah. w- w- what do you have in store for us? What's coming up? Well, yeah, I mean,
2: look,
1: we had a great week. We were there last year for the uh, US Amateur at Pebble. So, we were all there for a week. So, we, yep. we had a chance to talk. We had a chance to do our surveys. We had a chance to really, you know, dig into Pebble Beach. I mean, look, there are so many web and so many televised events for Pebble Beach. It's going to be hard to do anything really different or show things really differently than than a course uh, that that people haven't seen before. But I think you know the key for us will be a couple of things. We always I, you know I, part of my planning I have to wait uh, a little bit. Uh, you know it's always been the Masters. Okay, who won the Masters? You know what? Okay, what does that mean for us now? We announced who won the Masters. Who won the PGA? I mean, all of a sudden we could have a person who's won the first two and then it's a, you know, it's a different story than, yes. than you know, we've had before. Right. And then yes. Yes. So we've all, we, yeah, it's a little bit of a waiting game, but you know, you've already had, uh, you know, Phil win at Pebble this year. So everyone's going to talk, you know, and Phil at the end of the event said, you know, well, this means absolutely nothing for, uh, for June because, um, because of course it'll be totally different. Yeah. But, but it'll be different when he shows up there and he won, he won there five months ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and Dustin Johnson, he had, you know, he's got the great history there of winning and then having the, the terrible, uh, final round, uh, in 2010. And, yes. and, uh, you know, and Tiger's always going to be a uh, question, you know, part of the mix that we hope, uh, one, especially when it comes to pebble. So it, a lot of that will play out, but when it, w- what we're going to try to do and what, what I hope we'll do is th- those greens, if it's firm, are so hard to hit and your second shots have to be so precise there um, that, you know, hopefully we can tell that story instead of what, you know, what you saw the end of January uh, when they were there, it was really wet. Those guys were sitting as far as they could. And then they were, you know, kind of knocking around the green and it was, it wasn't as hard that's a different golf course in June. And, and, you know, we'll we'll try to tell the story of, of how it's different and why it's different. And, but at the end of the day, you know, we'll just see what that leaderboard looks like. And that, that's what really matters.
0: Yeah. And then that and we were talking, uh, over the, the shows leading up to this one, what a classy performance by tour veterans this season. You mentioned Phil's win at Pebble. Um, uh, I've seen in the, in the media, the average age of guys, uh, that have won on tour this year is over, uh, 32 years old. It's coming up on 33 years old. What, what a classy roster. Justin Rose has a win. Dustin Johnson has a win. Phil Mickelson has a win. Uh, you know, Kuchar has a win. Like these are guys that have been around. JB Holmes has a win. What a, what a classy roster of, of, um, you know, tour tour veterans and, you know, notwithstanding the hiccup of Tiger's uh, neck ailment, that is just as we're, we're counting on, I'm knocking on wood. That's a that's a momentary hiccup. But like everybody is in in tip top playing shape, um, you know, it's just it just kind of boggles the mind a little bit because you still have that young the young guard of Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed you know, coming up and, and trying to, to win uh, majors. It's just a great moment um, to be a fan of the game.
1: hundred uh, percent. And think about it. You can change a ton here between now and then. You've got the players, uh, you've got two majors. So who knows what the story will be by June.
0: I know. <laughs> That's right. Then The average age could be back to 25 again.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: exactly. Mark right. Loomis. Thank you so much for the time today. You're going to have to come on again. I'll let you come on after the Open when we're celebrating all the successes of the, of the broadcast. One of my favorite things uh, with the Open, I let, we'll end with this. You guys do uh, extended coverage. And I know it, 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 uh, uh, you have a lot of uh, faithful stewards like our boy Jeff Newbarth, who's sitting in the truck there for all those hours. How many hours can we, can we expect of coverage on Fox of the U.S. Open this coming year?
1: Well, I, you know what? I, I refuse to count them ahead of time because I, it, just makes me, I, I, it makes me uh, tired before I get there. But I will tell you this. Uh, on Saturday, we'll be on the air from, uh, unless there's a huge number that makes the cut, we will be on the air from the time the first shots hit uh, until the last shots hit on Saturday. Um, so that will be a great day. And I, I, I love Saturday at the U S open. I, I think, you know, sometimes by Sunday, half the field's kind of out of it, but right. on Saturday, you still feel like anybody who made the cut might be able to make a run. And, you know, you don't have to look very far back. You watch, you know, Justin Thomas jump the whole field two years ago, uh, when he shot 63. And then last yes. year, Tony Finau and Daniel Berger, uh, you know, finished four or five hours. They were, they were back at the hotel before the leaders beat off and they were in the final group. So, I, I love the fact that we're going to be on all day Saturdays. That, that's kind of a, a, a different that, – that's different for us. And then, um, you know, we should – you know, Thursday and Friday, as you said, it, golf in prime time, it doesn't get any better than that, especially when it's at a beach.
0: Yeah, well, I love the fact that you're on uh, all day Saturday. I, I can't wait. Mark Loomis, the executive producer of the United States Open on Fox Sports. Thanks for joining us today, my friend.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Always. And now on the tee, Megan Schuster. Yo, Schuster, what's happening?
3: What's up, house? How are you?
0: I'm living the, the best life I can live under these uh, trying circumstances. Tiger Woods can't play Ugh. this week, but we still have a great, a great field. Uh, let's talk some golf social. It is really the star of, uh, of the golf show at the moment. It's all social. It's all on Twitter. The, 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 the most uh, interesting topic that's occurring right now is this ongoing dialogue between tour players and the USGA on Twitter.
3: Yes, and I I like that you use the word dialogue because there doesn't actually seem to be too much back and forth or actual communication. Um, But yeah, over the weekend, I guess we should just lay out the timeline and exactly what happened. Over the weekend, Justin Thomas quote tweeted a PGA Tour release. They had assessed a two-stroke penalty uh, to Adam Schenk at the Honda Classic related to the semi or extremely controversial caddy alignment rule, depending on who you ask. Um, so he added the USGA with the hashtag grow the game, you know, a little little side eye, a little shade from JT. Um, he continued on explaining that by doing this, he was, you know, sort of hoping to generate more communication between the USGA and the players. Uh, and then USGA PR came through and dropped the hammer. Uh, they tweeted back at JT and said, <laughs> sounding like a true like X said, Justin, we need to talk. which is never the way that you want to start off any communication like this.
0: Well, any relationship, anybody who comes to you and says we need to talk, I was like, oh no, oh God. That's just an Uh, immediate
3: red flag. Like just never, ever do that, ever do that. Uh, They went on to say, quote, you've canceled every meeting we've planned with you, but we're reaching out again. We were at the first five events and tournaments last year, and your tour has had a seat at the table for seven years. We'd love nothing more than to give you a seat. Call us which is just like iconic like
0: man oh man just
3: just ridiculous so JT did not reply on twitter but uh to the media he said that he was shocked to get called out like that he said that he didn't cancel any meetings with them and then in a tuesday update surprise tuesday update from USA USGAPR they said after further and more direct conversations with Justin Thomas we realized he did not avoid a discussion nor cancel any meetings So, everyone is coming away from this looking bad. And there's plenty of themes to discuss here. Lots of rabbit holes we could dive down. You know, there's the long story, history of players, you know, hating on the USGA for, you know, difficult course layouts, rules. Um, And we've seen lots of complaints about players being too outspoken about rules on Twitter. But this messiness online kind of seems to be a new wrinkle. And I wanted to get your take on it.
0: I I just was really blown away and i think this is the uh a, a universal reaction by the usga going directly at a star player right with a sharp view that really didn't permit much on the you know a lot of flexibility around it you can't really walk back what the the, the message that they sent there which is We tried and tried and tried with you in particular, dude. Mm -hmm. And you were the obstacle to us, you know, having any kind of meaningful conversation. And uh, JT, now here's the thing that the USGA, you know, while while I admire sort of the uh, impulse to, you know, have a record out there in the public eye Mm -hmm. around the sort of nature of, of discourse between tour pros and the USGA, which... You know, in some respects, it's confirmatory, right? Like it feels like it's the case that tour pros can't be bothered to get in and get their their roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty in the nitty and gritty of rules development and rules commentary and rules input. Mm-hmm. And that that's the whole point of having the tour. The PGA tour is supposed to be doing it, that for those guys. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, like the USGA sending out a tweet directly at a star player, uh and, and and saying, look, you know, homie, you wouldn't get your hands dirty with us. We tried to have you in here. That 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 was like a rare um insight. It felt like a, a real revelation. But those dudes never had a chance like they, they, the, what JT did to them afterwards, which is not getting on the Twitter, mm-hmm. just letting the social media be quiet for, for 24 hours and then giving an interview, an old school television interview where he said that he was hurt. He was hurt. Hurt. That, that the, that hurt. The USGA. So hurt. Yes, exactly. He's in his feelings. They put him in his <laughs> in his feelings. Um, I'm just a masterclass mm-hmm. in how to handle uh, a public uh, relations uh, disagreement, is the way, the way that I'll present it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he, he the, the he knows the leverage that he has. And so playing the victim is obviously the right play for him. Mm-hmm. And the USGA is only going to look like a bully, which is why they walked back the, the message today. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're recording on a Tuesday and you mentioned they already walked it back. Oh, it turns out we looked, we went back and checked our records. Checked
3: the calendar, didn't have yeah, any meeting scheduled.
0: That's right. We were supposed to talk to him, but then there was, we had the storm and there was the thing. <laughs> and yeah, so... It wasn't really JT's fault exactly, right, right. Uh, and in the meantime, um, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan put out a memo to his players saying, "Like, look, we, you know, <laughs> uh, trying trying to grab all the lunatics and stick them back in the, inside the asylum. Look, mm-hmm. we gave a lot of input, and this is a two way street, and so on and so forth." The, I, I, we were lucky enough to have Mark Loomis, who is the executive producer for Fox Sports. And he runs the U.S. Open on, mm-hmm. on Fox, that television broadcast. And I kind of put it to him. You know, the the real challenge here is the fact that these rules were implemented effective the 1st of January 2019. Mm-hmm. But golf, by its nature, is a sport that... that has so many different variables at play at any given point in time. It's, it's uh, you know, it's always kind of a fool's errand to take the rules of golf and try and apply them to every situation because the, the variables in golf are endless. That, that beautiful chaos is part of the appeal of, of golf. And so I asked Loomis, isn't there, wasn't there some way that we could get a, like a soft walk into these rules where um, there would be some examples between the tour and the USGA and the tour officials and the players all having like live um you know communication live dialogue so like if you could have taken that adam shank situation and captured it on video and then said under the, the strict uh, letter of the law, the way that these rules are going to be applied, this would be a penalty. Mm-hmm. And then they could articulate why it is that it's a penalty and the players could give input as to like, wait a minute, this doesn't really seem fair. It doesn't really seem like the caddy had anywhere else to go to communicate to the player. And by the way, the stance that the player was in wasn't really capable. He couldn't really walk out of that stance and then get back in it right. to establish this the 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 fact that there was no alignment aid occurring there like just the practical application of what happens on tour and giving out examples of that would have been better for, for everybody. I mean Ricky getting a penalty for dropping at shoulder height when the rules now require knee height seems ridiculous to me. Like mm-hmm. h- how how could it possibly be the case that dropping at shoulder height um gave him any advantage at all? I mean the basic informing thrust of why they uh put the knee height rule in from what I've been able to read and understand is that it, it, it tends to have the effect of, of the ball not rolling as far away from the, from the player, but dropping it at shoulder height doesn't translate into, uh, you know, an enormous, uh, amount of, of extra wasted time or anything. It doesn't feel like to me. And honestly, it feels like a player dropping a shoulder height is at a disadvantage compared to a player dropping, at knee height. So I don't really understand that. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But again, it would have been nice to have had an opportunity to be like, this is an instance where dropping at shoulder height, this is, we want, we want everybody to drop at knee height because here's what we're trying to Mm -hmm. accomplish with this, this goal. I mean, with this rule and shoulder height is going to be a penalty. Like the, you know, just doing it prospectively would have been preferable. It feels like.
3: Right. And I sort of understand the frustrations on both sides of this argument because it sort of feels like right now, players are picking and choosing their hills to die on. Like they have issues with the new rules that are being implemented, which I fully understand. But then it's also like you have players out here like Brooks Kepka and other guys like Adam Scott who are calling for stricter enforcement of the pace of play rules. And so it's like the, these officials are sort of being criticized on all sides, you know, for taking some rules too seriously, keeping others too lax. And I can see how, you know, just no one is happy in this situation.
0: Well, that, that, that is a great point. Um, the fact that we have this highly technical application of these brand new rules and guys getting caught by what feels like kind of gotcha yeah. um, judgments by, by rules officials while the pace of play thing just goes on unabated. Uh, you <laughs> Forever know, uh, and ever. Yeah, yeah, right, right. The J.B. Holmes winning at Riviera, like all anybody could talk about was how long the round took mm-hmm. and how long he personally took. Yes. Um, and, you know, the... the, the There has to be some discretion, some judgment amongst the rules officials, amongst the guys uh, and and women walking the course and, you know, interacting with the players. Um, There was an example, uh, Charles Schwartzel from south africa got really mad uh i think it was saturday his group was put on the clock for slow play mm. on the 18th on the 18th hole <laughs> <laughs> he was notified and they were the group that was behind them was just on the t on 17 and the group ahead of them was finished so it was like okay what exactly are we what's uh, the point here y- yeah what's the timing issue here exactly and what do you right. think we're going to accomplish by being on the clock on the 18th hole um <laughs> So it's that kind of weird, um, somewhat arbitrary feeling that mm-hmm. I think you know is is reasonable for folks to feel aggrieved by. But the real culprit in all of this are the officials on the grounds. I think that are asked to to use their judgment in the same way that it's like NFL referees. Mm-hmm. You know, they they know what the rules are. Uh, they just have to go enforce the rules. And when they don't do it, um, it 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 is. Uh, a moment of outrage for like kind of all stakeholders involved, like what happened between the Saints and the Rams, <laughs> which was bad for all the Saints fans and fine for all the Rams fans. Right. Um, so that, that that's kind of the same dynamic. It feels like that that's occurring here because the USGA really is not the villain uh, in, in any way, shape or form, as far as I can tell. Other than tweeting it toward players, which is dumb.
3: Yeah, I I would say my biggest takeaway from all of this outside of all of the rules controversies is just how bad of a PR strategy that seemed to be from the PR (laughs) wing of the company. Um, Anytime you're going to get out PR'd by a player when you are the PR wing for your organization is not great. Uh, And it just led me to reiterate a couple of times today a favorite adage among Ringer staffers, which is never tweet. So,
0: (laughs) well, that's that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I mean that 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 really should be the 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 mo. Like, what made whoever those human beings were sitting wherever they were sitting, um, (laughs) working for USGAPR, think, oh, this is we're gonna pick a fight with this dude? Yeah, this this, is the dude that we're gonna go at. This extremely
3: online golf star is who we want to take on on Twitter.
0: Yeah this is this is who we're up to this challenge. This is the <laughs> dude that we want to step in the ring with. Uh yeah.
3: nah, 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 no. Maybe not so much. Maybe, Maybe not, not the not best so much. best strategy. Speaking of
0: not wanting to get in the ring with somebody <laughs> did you st- did you see Brooks Kepka?
3: We have to talk about Brooks Kepka. Brooks, our favorite, as Tiger Woods would say, Brooksy, uh, before teeing off on Saturday in the Honda Classic, posted a video to his Instagram where he was jamming to Lil Wayne while bench pressing just... An absurd amount of weight. I don't know. I don't spend enough time at the bench press station to be able to determine exactly how much weight was on the bar. (laughs) But his form was so good that he drew uh, some apparent combine interest from one Saints coach, Sean Payton. Uh, Sean Payton responded to the video on Twitter and said he's now on our NFL draft board. Hashtag what position So congrats to Brooks for apparently drawing NFL interest. Uh, House, I wanted to ask you, do you think Brooks was more excited about getting that Sean Payton tweet than almost winning the Honda Classic?
0: Well, first first of all, shouts to Sean Payton. How about this? Correct use of social media, cor- correct way of lo- reaching out to a star in another sport and right. having a, f- a fun moment with it. That's how you do the Twitter. Mm-hmm. USGA, USGA, take notes. Take what, notes. What? Pay attention to Sean Payton. But the answer to your question, do we think that Brooks prefer? Yes, the of course. <laughs> of course. The one thing that has been most prevalent in all of Brooks Kepka's fantastic golf career is he would prefer to be playing other sports. Any other
3: sport. His, his, <laughs> any other
0: sport. You said it. He he would much rather be playing baseball. He loved playing baseball. He mm-hmm. did not want to give up playing baseball, but it just turns out that he has an aptitude for golf and golf happens to be a terrific lifestyle and he can go be uh, one of the very greatest players in, in the game at golf. And so he's just going to have to hold his nose and suck it up and play golf <laughs> and make millions of dollars, you know, playing that sport, even though in his heart of hearts, it really seems like he'd like either a contact sport or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. at an absolute minimum, uh, you know, baseball, which, you know, right. has a couple of opportunities for contact. But as usual, the Brooks Kepka enigma, um, it just I, I can't get enough. Uh, I, you know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about him uh, revealing himself, that his voice is coming out. Just mm-hmm. keep it coming, Brooksy. Don't stop. This is, this is the year of the Brooks as far as I'm concerned.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm fully here for it. I'm fully ready for it. He has, you know, like you said, made himself known in media this year more so than in the past. He has obviously made an impact on tour already this season, and I'm just really excited to see what he does the rest of the year.
0: You 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 and me both.
3: Both on Instagram and on the golf course.
0: <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this thing up. But before we wrap it up, I gotta give a quick shout out to the Odyssey Toulon Atlanta Stroke Lab Putter. It just won on the European tour, and the Odyssey Toulon Stroke Lab Putters hit stores this past Friday. So we had a winner on tour, the Odyssey Toulon Atlanta Stroke Lab one on the European tour the, the the putters are available Friday and already we've got a win in the books uh, they're they're beautiful a lot of guys are choosing these putters on tour guys and gals and the uh, fun thing about this from from uh, Callaway and, and odyssey and and Toulon they have this stroke lab shaft that is uh, promoting a more consistent stroke because there is um, a weight balancing in it and I've had the good, fortune of putting with this thing and trying out a little bit now i i uh took a little bit of getting used to but now i i found it and i have such a consistency odyssey is the number one putter across the major worldwide tours this year and number one in worldwide putter wins speaking of wins let's end this
3: thing on a winning note house i have one last question to ask you please so if I don't know if you follow Jeff Sherman at Golf Odds on Twitter, he is the golf odds maker for Westgate Sportsbook in Las Vegas. He yes. tweeted late last week that he just took a $10,000 bet on Tiger Woods to win the 2019 Masters at 12 to 1 odds. Now, this is a tough look given the news this weekend about his neck strain, but I had to ask, what would it take for you to drop $10,000 on Tiger at the Masters this year? What kind of assurances would you need?
0: Um, The assurances I would need are that I have um, $15 million sitting in my (laughs) bank account. So that $10,000 is just discretionary recreational cash Mm -hmm. because it makes no logical sense whatsoever to take that money and and put it at, at those terrible odds, twelve to one are are egregious odds in terms of the 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 risk that that a person is taking on in terms of the likelihood that a player's any given player is going to win a tournament. Tiger at the height of Tiger powers uh, was, I think, playing at a rate where um, the actual uh, risk was probably around like a 15 to one or 16 to Mm one that he would win, uh, any given event. So 12 to one in the the current climate is grotesque, (laughs) but if you want to root for tiger and you have the means to go ahead and put what feels like to the rest of us, a meaningful amount of cash on it, and then your heart of hearts, that $10,000 is going to bring you great joy as you root for, for Eldrick, uh, to be, be successful. But by all means, go do that. Go do your thing. It's just not for me. And I don't think it's for you. And I don't really think no. it's for any of us.
3: No, I certainly don't have $10,000 to drop on a Tiger Woods bet at the Masters. I was, I was thinking through this question myself and I was thinking I would need, you know, multiple sworn statements from doctors, like x-rays, like images. <laughs> I would need Tiger to have won a tournament recently. And sure. You know, just to have you know, lots of eyes on how he's doing health wise. But no, I completely agree with you. This feels like a lot of money going immediately down the drain. But hey, if if you love Tiger, I guess you just do it.
0: That's right. I mean, what you just described in terms of the doctor assurances <laughs> and him winning and the continued you know, we want to see some strokes gain. We want to see some metrics mm-hmm. head in the right direction. I need all of that. To put a hundred dollars on, I mean <laughs> right, that's right. that's what I'm requiring at those, those bad odds at twelve to one. I I want you know before I put hundred bucks on on the idea, I need everything that you just described. Well, on on that note, we're not going to do any better, Megan Schuster. Thank no. you so much. Uh, that's golf social for this week. We're back next week because we're back every week through the Masters here on Fairway Rolling. Thank thanks Schuster. Thanks House. And now on the tee. Chris Vernon. Yo, Vernon! Hello, house. (laughs) That was your, that was a very dignified response. Are you getting ready for something dignified? I thought it was a golf podcast. Oh, well, you know what? (laughs) Uh, This is a golf podcast unlike any other. You're allowed to uh, yell like a maniac (laughs) on on this one. Uh, We're going to talk about all kinds of things. Of course, we're going to cover this week in Tiger Woods, my main man, Verno. We're going to give out some picks for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. But before we get started, I just want to observe for all of our birdie buddies out there. We are about to begin uh, a voyage, Verno, you and I. I'm asking you to join me. This is the start of, of the run towards the, the, the glorious, the greatest major event on the planet, which is the Masters. We kick off this week, March the 7th, with the Arnold Palmer Invitational. We proceed directly into the Players' Championship. We have the Valspar Championship, which is really the site of Tiger's reawakening and reemergence last year. We have a World Golf Championship event uh, down in, uh, in Texas, Austin, Texas and then it's the Texas Open and the Masters. Will, will you take me by the hand, Verno, and join me on this escapade?
2: Yes, and unfortunately, I mean, I was, I was gearing up for this week until yesterday, and the news came out that uh, our beloved has a neck injury, so he's not going to be able to play this upcoming week. But he said it was all gearing toward that first major, so hopefully by that time he will be in full form. But I am I am a bit upset after uh after this past weekend you know i mean i'd gotten kind of used to having him around you know didn't have him uh to mexico uh he played well i thought right in that wgc event
0: he sure did uh, i mean forward
2: to having him back yeah
0: well that that's right he was gonna be one of my picks i had two picks lined up for this week and by the way let me go ahead and let's just announce it formally we are we are uh presently talking this week in tiger woods tiger 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 Woods! So, Verno, I, I I, was ready to give out Eldrick Tiger Woods as one of my two selections for this week. Uh, I'm going to sit on my other selection for a minute here. But this neck injury, so it's, it's curious. I wonder if it is something having to do with... Uh, he says it doesn't have anything to do with his lower back, but it could be you know, something having to do with the repetitive uh, motion. You know, I, I I don't know if it's a neck pinch, if it's an impingement, if it's a nerve thing, but it seems like it's the kind of thing where he only needs rest. Um, I hope that's the case. But as you just observed, the thing that, that we want out of him is a is a is what we're hoping for is a healthy Tiger for Augusta National in, in a month. And we know that he has a game plan for that. The, the tournaments that he could play. Yeah, I mean, he made
2: it seem like it's not a big deal. That this will not be a big setback, and that he's sorry that he wasn't going to get to play this week, but that he'll be fine. That's what he made it sound like.
0: So I in, 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 the, in the reading up on this, there was some observation that he looked uncomfortable, both in Mexico and in Los Angeles at, at uh, Riviera, that he didn't look like he had the full flowing freedom of movement that we've seen out of him over this last uh, 16 months or so. Uh, I I hope um, that whatever it is that was bothering him in those events. Now, he finished top 20 in both of those events, which is why I thought he was poised to really jump inside the top five and get us all really excited at this stage of the game. But if if it's not serious, if it's just a rest thing, you figure he's going to need at least two more tournaments to get ready for the Masters, right? Mm-hmm. We, so he'll be in the Players. The two, he
1: said he'll be at the know, Players.
0: He's going to be at the Players. He's taking this week off and he'll play at the Players. And then the choice will be for him between the Valspar tournament down in Tampa or the Match Play tournament. And the thing about the Match Play tournament is he's guaranteed three matches, but you may not. he may not get 18 holes in each of those matches. So I don't know which way he's leaning.
2: Probably Valspar. You think, I think, I mean, if he's tra- you know, again, he's trying to gear up and th- th- the shame of it all is he had a very, uh, had a very well thought out schedule for this year, right? He has laid out right. what he was going to be doing. So I don't, I don't like that being amended already.
0: <laughs> this is the version of Tiger that we're going to have to live with, right? There are going to be right. these hiccups along the way, these physical hiccups, and hopefully They're just hiccups. They're not full-on burps is what we're trying to avoid altogether, right? That's what we hope. That's what we hope. Okay, well, that's this week in Tiger. There's nothing to talk about this week. We're looking forward to him at the players. And, you know, last year at the players, uh, it was in May. He was doing that thing where he just had kind of a pedestrian first round, pedestrian second round, and then came out. Hot in the third round, and he did that last year at the Players. So we'll have the opportunity to compare notes and and really get get in deep. We'll have a little more information about how how he's feeling physically when we tape next week's Fairway Rollin, uh, and we'll we'll get in deep on on what we hope for out of Tiger at the Players uh, Championship.
2: But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I did not, I I didn't miss him in that in that Dustin Johnson tournament. I didn't because that was just. Johnson is now so spectacular. I mean, come on. Rory is on fire. He birdies six of seven holes and doesn't gain a stroke on the guy. Like, that was Tiger stuff. Like, he's so dominant right now.
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, that that victory was DJ's 20th, and he's. I don't think we have to debate any further whether or not he's in the World Golf uh, Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer now, and you know his his track record of of a win over however many years. He wins every year at least once. But that that uh, uh, performance in Mexico is just a reminder of his skill set and his ability to um, you know w- whenever he gets the – he he's like a shark in that in this respect. He smells a little bit of blood and then he just goes for the kill and he's a relentless killer. Like he can't, you can't get him off of, off of that piece of meat once he's on it. I honestly, it's very relatable for me. When you put me on a brisket, you can't get me off of a brisket. So I'm
2: all for the dominant thing. Like that's one of the things that I love, obviously except for the charisma and and everything that goes along with Tiger and the years of history that made us, love it love watching it so much but if it's not like i love like that speed run a couple of years ago where it felt like it was him and then there was everybody else like i do feel that way with johnson right now in a lot of these tournaments to where you're watching him it's like all right dude if you if if i if if i'm birdie and six of seven and not gaining a stroke on this guy then something like that's different that's different than what he used to be it feels like he may have taken a turn to where now obviously last year he ends up being the number one ranked player in the world but he plays like this like you can be behind him and you can go six under through seven holes and not gain a stroke come on man like that is yeah that's old tiger stuff
0: When, when he does it it always makes me feel like a bum for not having picked him it's like, oh, damn it. How could I leave off DJ? And I know that I'm going to have that feeling come to Masters. So I might just have to pick him at the Masters. I don't know. We, well, he he's is still too played, early. I think
2: he had the, he had the fourth. He, he, I think he played yeah. fourth, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple yeah. years back. But he is not fair well there, interestingly enough.
0: Yeah. He, you don't really hear him competing. You know, and he's not like, oh, he, this is DJ's tournament to win, or this is DJ down the stretch. That, that, that fourth place was his one shot at it. Um, but uh, we, we'll just keep an eye out. I, like I said, I feel like a bum when I don't take him. All right, let's, let's talk about this upcoming uh, Arnold Palmer Invitational. We have a loaded field. It's a beautiful field. We're, you and I are going to make our epic flash, the Callaway epic flash. Pick of the week. This this uh, driver, real quick, uh, and I, I got to get one into your hands here, Verno. Number one driver worldwide has more wins than any other driver across the tours in the world. Eight of the nine wins with the epic Callaway Flash are in the hands of players who are not getting paid by Callaway to pay, play the epic Flash. They are going out and trying this driver out and finding out that they love it and then winning golf tournaments with it. That's pretty good, Verto.
2: <laughs> so they go and they practice with it they think wow i really hit this well and then they actually do hit it well
0: they actually do hit it well uh and and, and not just hit it well they there there are victories across the board um most prominently jb holmes at riviera uh not a callaway dude had that epic flash in his bag and and uh i think he drove the ball pretty well now let's talk about s- some names for the API, obviously the chalk is Rory and Justin Rose. I'm not giving out either one of those guys as my own selection. Um, I want to do this. I'm going to give out some some top 20 plays. I looked at some guys who are in form at the moment and also have decent track records at Bay Hill. I'm going to give out four guys that fit that category. Uh, and these are all names that are going to sound Familiar to folks that have been paying attention to the tour this year because these are guys that are uh, in form. So I like the odds for all of these guys because they're plus odds. If you put down $100, you're going to get back your $100 and then a little something extra for your trouble. The first guy I'm looking at here, Verno, Charles Howell III. You can have him if you bet uh, him to finish inside the top 20. He's available at 175 at the moment. So that's nearly two to one. You're gonna, if you put down $100, bucks, you're gonna get it back 175 if Chucky Three Sticks can place in the top 20. He is this is his 19th consecutive appearance at this tournament. He has seven top 25s. He he finished tied for 14th last year. But this year this is really the thing that makes me feel like this is a good allocation to Capital Verno. Six top 20s in his last seven. Starts on 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 tour. Tell me what, how you feel about Chucky Three Sticks at this stage of the game.
1: The stats are actually uh, rather convincing.
2: Um, <laughs> and okay, I'm just I'm just trying to get in the top twenty, right? I got no problem. Listen, I, w- when you start getting in the top tens, top five, um, but anybody can get in the top twenty, and that's pretty good odds.
0: I know this is what I'm saying. I, I want. I'm looking for. I'm just looking for value plays, Verno. You need none, your things. None. Wow, well, it's golf, right? No hey, such thing.
2: Hey, what? What? Oh, well, you Talk could be me. like me and have Brooks Kepka plus nine hundred, and then Keith Mitchell wins the
0: frigging tournament. Man, you were right there. We were texting about it. You were right there. Oh, Brooks oh, put put he I, he put that he put on exactly what we expected out of him, which is in that stretch run, which is he put oh. himself right at the top of the leaderboard, and you just got to tip your hat to Keith Mitchell. That's all.
2: Well, I tipped something to him.
0: <laughs> another name Lucas Glover uh, you can have a plus 175 if you, if you lay, put down $100 and say I think Lucas Glover is going to finish in the top 20 you'll get back that, that 100 and then uh, 75 on top of it for your trouble we have 8 top 20 finishes out of Lucas Glover and his last 9 starts including 4 top 10s so that, that's a pretty good form line Verno uh, uh, out of Glover, and he uh, he has a a, a nice uh, some nice performances at, at Bay Hill. He's finished seventh, eleventh, and fourteen over the years there. So those are all you know inside the top twenty. But I just like the form line quite a bit out of Lucas Glover.
1: All right, anybody
2: that can keep it in the fairway, you don't have to scramble a lot, right? As long as you can find these guys that can just consistently. Put it in the fairway. They give themselves a chance at this
0: tournament. Well, the nice thing is with Glover, he's third on tour in scrambling right now, and he's led the field in scrambling in two of his last four starts. So if he has to scramble uh, at, at Bay Hill, that that, that he, he, he we can count on him. I'm looking well, at like, Frankie you remember, you remember
2: last year? And I just I know he's the favorite, and I know he's been amazing this year. But like last year, Rory made every putt, every
0: putt. Yes. That's right.
2: Yeah, and it was like, well, geez, what happens if he doesn't make every friggin' putt? You know, it, it's a different, it's a, obviously a much different story. It was out of character. That's how many putts he was. He was just bailing everything. And I say that, but it felt like he was hitting everything in that tournament where he was trying to track down DJ. So I suppose it's possible. He just makes everything yeah, again, sure. but he wasn't in the fairway all the time. He was just making everything once he got to the green.
0: That's it. And that, that that's the, the key to Rory's game. Especially, I'm going to give out one more, uh, uh, top 20 play, and then I'll give my pick and then let you give your pick. I like Ian Poulter at plus plus one fifty five. You mentioned him. We've seen how hot he is. Let me tell you about this. His last four starts all over the world. He's gone. T6, T3, T6, T3. And that T3 was at, in Mexico. He's made every cut, uh, at, at Bay Hill since 2011. And he has five top twenty fives. Ian Poulter is available at plus one fifty five, so that that's a pretty decent. I like that one a lot based on 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 his form line. And you mentioned Poulter.
2: Hey, am I crazy, or does it seem like people are liking him a lot more than they used to? I
0: I don't know. It does seem like people are coming around on him a little bit.
2: I feel how, like how, he's how? getting big reactions, like. I feel like watching
0: these tournaments, like he's
2: one of the guys that's getting big reaction and maybe it is just, you know, so animated that he's so animated. But I thought that, I thought there were a lot of people that couldn't stand Ian Poulter and like rooted against him. And yet when I watched these tournaments, I do feel like there's many times where he's got the crowd on his side.
0: Well, it did seem like, especially in Mexico, uh, he had a, a group of supporters, right?
2: Oh, for sure. In Mexico. Yes. But I yeah. mean, even these other uh, tournaments, it just feels like, you know, when he, when he makes the putts that he's getting, maybe it's just because it's so different that he is so animated and people just react to that despite the fact that, yeah. you know, maybe some people don't like him.
0: So here, here's my Epic flash pick of the week, the okay. Callaway Epic flash driver, my pick pick of the week. I'm going with, I don't want to do the chalk cause I want, I need to save, uh, Justin Rose and I want to save Rory uh, for something down the down the way as well. I want to do something slightly contrarian. So the ultimate contrarian on tour right now is Bryson DeChambeau, and that is my pick for this week. Now it's, that's not going out on a limb exactly. He finished second last year to Rory. He's got five wins in the last nine months, and he led the field in uh, he, he co led the field in par five scoring last year in this event, and right now across the events that he's played. He's third in par five scoring, so that's holding up for him. I just feel like he's it's it's a moment for him to remind all of us. Uh, oh yeah, right. We have to think about Bryson DeChambeau as we get into this sprint towards the players and the Masters and the U.S. Open. You know this this uh, the PGA Championship in May. We have all these tournaments coming up in a row. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau wants to remind us that he's out there. That's my epic flash pick of the week.
2: All right, Bryson DeChambeau. I was very worried that you were going to take back. Um, okay. You know, you got the chalk. Yeah, you, you got the chalk, guys. Kepka looked good last week. Um, Jason Day has played really well here, and he's around. And then you've got Rose back in this tournament, and that goes with Rory, too. So I'm going to go farther down, too. Right, so We're not going to go with any of the top four. We're going to try to find a couple other guys. So the two that I'll take a stab at, one is Mark Leachman, who won here a couple of years ago and yeah. has been five top fives in his last eight starts. So
1: yes.
2: he plays well at this particular course. He's a little farther down on the odds list, and he's played well this year. So I got those three things going for me. Um, that at least, he, you know, I feel like he's always in the mix, so if he's not in the mix, there towards the top then it'll be a surprise but if he is give yourself a chance Um, so I at least want somebody that's got longer odds that I think could at least have a chance by the time it gets to the
0: end. Yeah I'm seeing him around 25 to 1 in that neighborhood
2: Yeah so he's 25 and I think the other guy I've seen is around 30 to 35 to 1 and that's Fleetwood
0: because eventually
2: it's going to happen. Yeah I'm with you I mean he's got great he's great all around and He's just got to like not shoot a friggin 78 on one of the day. Like it that, feels that, That's like, really
0: it. You're right. Yes.
2: He goes like 68, 66, 65. I mean, he posts these super low numbers when he's on and then he'll have this one crap round that screws it up. Um but there's going to come a time where that crap round doesn't yeah, that crap round I'm, doesn't I'm show you. up and, what, and he's going to run off on people.
0: That's right. What you just described is exactly his experience at Bay Hill. He started his debut in 2017. He shot an opening round 78, and then he finished in the top 10. He had a top 10, T10 finish. And then last year, he finished T26. He had a second round 76. In the other six rounds across those two years, 2017, 2018, his scoring average was 68.7. So he's going low. It's just got to get, he's got to get that sticky round out of the mix to your point. And, and, you know, he's in form 19 consecutive cuts made worldwide out of Tommy Fleetwood. So I, I, I like that Fleetwood on my chart here available at 33 to one. So I like your longer shot, the, the Leishman and Fleetwood, a little bit of value in both of those guys, DCM not much value 16 to one to win the thing. But I, I, you know, uh, that's better than, uh, uh, Rory's at six and a half to one. I'm not touching that. And Rose is 10 to one. That's just no value.
2: If Rose looks like he has, um, and right now, you know, wants to reclaim that number one, I'm sure. Um, listen, when he's on, he's, you know, and DJ's not around right now. He, he's totally deserving of his number two ranking. Cause it feels like he is right there, um, to be trifled with. And so yeah, the odds think, but again Justin Rose you know you'll find some of these tournaments where you go into the Saturday and he's you know 25th and then by the end of Saturday you know he's sixth with the yep. chance to the yep. you know the chance to win the thing it happens it feels like it happens all the time even in majors it happened one last year where it looked like he was going to get cut and the next thing you know he made the top
0: 5 yeah that that's that's the justin rose experience and that's why he's been bumping in and out of the number one slot uh all year long okay we gave out some we got uh we got leishman and we got fleetwood epic flash picks of the week verno we'll be in touch over the weekend as always my dude my man thanks joe all right thanks chris